Hey, it's Jed Hearn, host of Wizards, Warriors, and Words. If you're enjoying the writing advice on this show, you might like my new podcast, The Jed Hearn Show, where every week I share the best fantasy writing advice that I've learned from publishing three fantasy novels and a best-selling video game. There's over 12 episodes that you can listen to right away, including my top 10 fantasy books of all time, how to make fantasy names that don't suck, two rules that make writing effortless, and my complete summaries of Brandon Sanderson's and Neil Gaiman's writing classes, and much more. Check it out by searching for The Jed Hearn Show in your podcast app. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Wizards, Warriors, and Words, a fantasy writing advice podcast. I'm Jed Hearn, author of Across the Broken Stars, and I am joined by my co-hosts, starting with Dirk Ashton. Hi, I'm Dirk Ashton, and I can't see the screen. There it is. Hi. Um, I'm the author of the Paternus Trilogy. And Rob J. Hayes. Hi, I'm Rob J. Hayes. I'm the author of uh, the War Eternal uh, Trilogy. And today we're going to be talking about how do you position your cover and blurb to make the most of your genre. So we're not talking about how to make the prettiest cover or the uh, coolest sounding blurb. We're talking about uh, trying to make a cover that sells your book, trying to make a blurb that accurately tells readers what to expect and appeals to readers of a specific subgenre. No, that makes them buy it. That makes them buy it. (laughs) Correct. Not appealing, just makes them buy it. Uh, So in other words... We're talking about money today, so get ready to get rich on Wizards, Warriors, and Words. Um, yeah, this is it. This is it. Wizards, Warriors, and Words will make you a fortune. (laughs) (laughs) This is the moment when we sold out. Um, No, I think this is important to talk about because, uh, yeah, I think that the way that is good to think about your writing is that when you're writing the book, you think with the mentality of the artist and you're trying to make something that is appealing to you. And then as soon as you're done with the book, you lock the artist in a basement underneath your house and you put on your business cap and you try to sell it um, because that provides for the artist to then do their thing again with the next book, uh, hopefully with some sort of audience. So um, let's start by talking about what makes a good cover. Rob, do you I want think, to kick us off? Well, I, I think it's important to first establish the sort of like the, the context of the, you know, what, what they're for. So, that's fair. The way I look at it is, is this. A cover is there to make someone pick up the book. Now, that's talking like in sort of physical terms, but in, in, um, in sort of ebook terms, it's there to make someone click. 
um, on the link to click on that cover to take them to the landing page, which is probably going to be an Amazon page. Anyway, the point still stands. It's there to make them pick up the book. So it needs to catch their attention. If someone's browsing for a fancy book, whatever, uh, it needs to catch their attention to make them go, huh, pick up. Then, yeah, I know that was really cheesy. Um, no, anyway, was, uh, I liked it. That's exactly then, what I do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then, then there's the blurb. The blurb is there to make them, you know, look inside the book. It's there to, to sort of like go beyond the cover and make them intrigued, to want to know more. It's there to establish the, the, the genre and to make them ask questions as well as just sounding cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then usually, then you go, okay, then there's be the first page or whatever, which is there to make them actually go, yes, I like the style of this book or, you know, the, the perspective, whatever, I will buy it. So I think yeah. for me, that's the, the sort of like the progression of it. The cover leads to the blurb, leads to the first page, leads to the sale. Yep. Yes. I think, um, I I think number, number one, it needs to just catch their attention. Number two, that's very closely tied is it needs to, uh, it needs to communicate the genre yes. um, that it's in. Uh, trying to do something new, experimental and different um, is all fine and dandy until you actually decide, you know, it'd be nice to make some money doing these. Um, so do the research of other books that are very, they're as similar as you can find as to yours and see what of those are selling and study those, those covers. And then uh, remember, crucial to remember that um, go and browse around on Amazon looking at books and see how little um, now the, uh, the, the, the image of the, of, the, of the cover on the book page, the description page, the product page it's called, right? Um, is a little bit bigger, but it's still small. Most of the time they see that are gonna be in customers also read or also bought or recommended for you or in the ads are gonna be even tinier. And it needs to start to communicate those things, catch their attention, number one, and start communicating the genre right there immediately before they read any little description underneath. Um, the other thing that I would bring up too is that you're gonna, you're gonna hear uh, different competing terminologies. When we say blurb, um, some people think a, a short, uh, a, a short sentence or a short phrase from another author, right? There's are also called testimonials. Um, on Amazon, it's called the description. And a lot of us call them blurbs also, but it's really the, the, the ad copy, the marketing yeah. ad copy is what we're talking about. It's that very brief synopsis that's usually two to three paragraphs long and maybe a tagline the, that's there to make to, to to make people go. That sounds cool. I like what you've what's all going seen. On in this you've book. all seen them, right? Yeah. You've all seen them on the Amazon pages. Uh, go and read a whole bunch of them. Read a bunch of the ones that do really well, right? Try to emulate those to a certain extent. Um, there, there. I just searched writing blurbs for books, and there are a ton of great articles online, um, and some not so great. But you're gonna do that do the research. You're starting a business, right? You're, you're, 
you're, uh, you're selling a product. Um, so you need to do your marketing research, see what others are doing, and you're going to see a wide range. Some are going to start with like an all caps, right? Um, even myths have legends, you know, like is on mine, you know, that kinds of that kind of thing. Some will have um, number what in this many categories, best selling book in blah, blah, blah. But that only comes later. Um, sometimes they have that tagline, sometimes they do not. Um, and uh, then, then sometimes they'll have a, a testimonial or two, uh, an author, another author or a reader, Amazon reader, Goodreads reader. Sometimes they'll have that up near the top and then it gets into the description. Sometimes it just goes right into the description. Look at the books that, uh, one, write one that appeals to you eventually. This stuff is really hard. Run it past, run these things past your friends as ask them as if they were uh, on Amazon. Um, and you're going to see a wide range. You're going to see some that go on for, they're really long. And there's basically a synopsis of the book without giving away the ending. And some of them, um, I never personally, I never read those. I never read past that first few lines. Um, uh, most of the books, however, I buy because I know the author or they were recommended from word of mouth. Uh, has nothing, I really don't care about the descriptions. Um, and the big long ones, I don't want to read about the whole story. I know kind of, I want to get a good feel for it in the first, you know, before I have to scroll down too much. So I keep mine personally really short compared to most people. Um, my books have done okay, but I think a lot of that has been word of mouth. Uh, though, you know, the, there's no denying that any of us who sell a decent amount of books that 95% or more of those are people who just come across it on Amazon. They are completely complete unknowns. They haven't read a blog, uh, blog review about it. They, you know, they don't know anything about it. They just click and go in and look at something and, and buy it because, you know, KU readers and, you know, the, there are a ton of readers out there that have no connection to us whatsoever. Um, would you I agree think, with that guys? Well, I, I think, all they know think, is what they see on Amazon. They have Yeah, I, I just, yeah. I just want to point out. I think first off, when we talk about genre, we, we, we I, I think we need to establish that fantasy is well. That's the the, the overall genre. It's, it's the subgenres that really matter. So I'm just going to say that. Yeah. What, what are you writing? Are you writing an epic fantasy? Are you writing a you know progression fantasy? Are you writing romantic fantasy? Are you writing whatever? There's so are many you different. Doing, are you writing harem fantasy? Right. Sure. You know, there so, are specific covers and types of description. Exactly. And that's just it. So the first thing you need to do is identify the subgenre, basically, that you are writing in. And then, yeah, you want to you want to go and, look and at even sub subgenre. Yeah. yeah. You want to go look at a bunch of different covers and see what they do. Like if you're looking at epic fantasy, a lot of epic fantasy, you'll see things like, hey, here's a sword on the, the, the cover. Things like um, uh, John Gwynn's books. Um, the majority of them have this have this weapon sword a hammer a spear an axe on the cover because it immediately says epic fantasy mm -hmm. it's just it's one of those established little things if you're looking at progression fantasy as i have been doing a lot over the past couple of weeks you quite often see this very detailed single character image on the cover because that's what it's about it's about this character who's going to be getting stronger and you want to be able to see this character in their sort of prime 
so that's what you'll see in that sort of genre. For romantic fantasy, you're almost certainly going to see either a single hot-looking character, half-naked dude, or a couple of characters who are standing very close together, indicating that there is a relationship that's going to be happening. So that's the first thing that you're going to do with, with those with those covers. When you're looking at creating a cover, you need to figure out which genre your your book is going to be selling in, and you need to tailor the, the cover towards the audience. A really, um, Sorry, Rob, keep going. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say a really, really important point here is that we're saying, you know, study the examples out there that are working well. you got to make sure that you're studying the examples that are working well. So yeah. the best way that I have found to do that is to go onto the Amazon page for a book. Make sure you go onto the amazon.com page, not the page for your location if you are not based in the US. Um, so for instance, my Amazon page would normally be the Australian one, go to the .com page because that's where most of the sales are. And then scroll down on the description page and find what's called the Amazon bestsellers rank for the book. So mm -hmm. sometimes abbreviated as like uh, ABSR, this will be a number. Um, it might be, let's say 32,345. And the Amazon bestsellers rank um, will let you know how well that is selling because what that is a reflection of is how much is that book selling compared to all the other books in the store? So number one is the book that is selling the most. Um, so that would be like a cradle book when Will Wright releases it, uh, <laughs> just to give <laughs> or, him some more props. Or even if it's been released for a while. Oh, even time. if it's been released yeah, for a while. Sometimes. Um, and then like number 10,000 would be the book that is selling the 10,000th most on Amazon. Uh, and then once you have the Amazon bestsellers rank, what you would want to be doing is actually turning that into a number that makes sense. So if you go to, let me get up the website here. Um, if you go to kindlepreneur.com and look at their Amazon KDP sales rank calculator. So if you just Google Amazon sales rank calculator, that will let you put in the uh, Kindle bestselling rank for a book. And it will tell you roughly how many books the that is selling per day. So let's say, if we had an Amazon bestsellers rank of 5,000, um, this calculator reckons, and who knows how accurate this is, but it's just a rough estimation. It is a rough, yeah. Amazon bestseller rank of 5,000, according to Kindlepreneur, is 34 books per day that that book is selling. Um, so then you can take that, you can multiply the 34 by however much the book costs, and you can roughly figure out how much profit that book is making per day. Now, the reason why you would want to do this is to make sure that you are learning from genuinely good examples um, because you don't want to be copying the stuff that the books with a bestseller rank of a million are doing, for example. Yeah. It's also very important that you look at books that have had longevity. So a book that has just released um, could be artificially higher in the rankings than it will be yeah. a month later. So... My advice would be if you are writing in a certain subgenre, figure out uh, you know, the five to 10 books or more if you can that have been out for more than a couple of months. Um, ideally don't have a lot of advertising spend behind them because that can inflate figures as well. Um, and then find their bestseller That's ranks. super, super hard to figure out. Yeah, that one's difficult. You don't, you don't know who's advertising and who is. Uh, that's fair. You can, yeah. yeah, okay. I guess it is difficult to see it, but you can Unless sometimes- Unless you're just cruising around looking yeah. at all the ads. If that's... you are cruising around and if yeah. you see, well, if you see a book come up in an ad, um, 
I mean, there are things to learn from that for sure. But if you are trying to optimize for a book that you ideally don't have to advertise that much because it has hit a certain um, zeitgeist in a subgenre, then yeah, try to look for stuff that is a bit bit older would be my advice. But yeah, that, I guess and, that is hard. And be aware, be at. aware that um, when I when I look at ranks and I'm looking for something like keywords or, or uh, um, titles for for ads or something, um, I generally ignore anything that's on sale for ninety nine cents. Mm because that's Great also point. going to be artificial um yes uh unless you just know that it's been doing really really well the um, the other sort of easier less 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 maths heavy way of doing it is to um is to look at the books that have a lot of reviews on amazon and i'm talking yes. like you know five six hundred plus yeah six hundred if they're doing well for a year or less and it has 500 reviews that's doing really, really yeah. well. And then occasionally you'll see one that, you know, has only been out for a few months and might have over a thousand. That is doing well. Mm, That's yeah. the sort of thing you want to try and emulate if you're looking yeah. for success within the specific genre. Genre. Yeah. And same with Goodreads. Um, yes. Look at when it came out and look at how many reviews it has. Just, just uh, as for comparison, um, I've been very happy, very lucky with Paternus, the first book, um, and it's been out now for six years almost. Uh, it will be out six years in May, um, and I still don't have 500 reviews. I have 496. Hey, so so <laughs> if you're look, yeah, if you're looking at a book um, that's been out for, you know, a couple of months, three months, six months. Uh, uh, or a year and it's got 500 reviews that book has done really well oh yeah 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 for reviews um, is a really good rank yes look at that look at the books that are ranking well in your genre um and subgenre. um but uh look at um uh the number of reviews is e probably even more telling of success yeah so that's fair now unless they're all one stars but not that many people are going to read and review it if the book is not getting good star ratings. Exactly. It's just not going to happen. I think it's also worth taking into account when still on covers is that, you know, not all great pieces of art are great covers and not all great covers are great pieces of art. Mm -hmm. um, I was going to do a quick example for YouTube uh, listeners. This, or readers, uh, watchers, this is one of my books. This is City of Kings. This is a wonderful piece of artwork with a nice black bleeding rose and thorns and a wintry vibe. It's a terrible cover. Um, I love it, but it's still a terrible cover. I'm sorry, Sean, it is. Um, it does not portray uh, the, the genre at all. There's nothing on this, this cover to say it is fantasy. Yep. Um, but it is, the, the, but it's Rob's fault, not Sean's, because he. Oh, it is. Yeah, I'm the one that told him what I wanted, and <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. No, because I know it's my fault when yeah. my things aren't working. But you know, I was like, yeah, have a bleeding rose and a nice wintry theme and lots of fawns. It's really thematic, and yeah, it, but it's a, it's a terrible cover. It doesn't um, it doesn't indicate the 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 genre at all. Um, the the colors of it, while the, there's a nice contrast between the white and the dark, the blood on the rose is so dark that you can't really see what's going on with it. And it just, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't make you go, oh yeah, what's that about? Um, so I those, of you, those of you who are listening, not watching, look up Rob Hayes' 
um city of city kings. of kings city of kings That's it's a the... good example of a lovely piece of art but a terrible cover yes um and I, I, that was one of the, the hardest things that I had to learn. It's like, just because it looks gorgeous does not mean it's going to translate well onto a cover. It, yeah. it needs to make people want to pick up the book. Yeah. And it, you know, and I, and I can't stress enough that it needs to convey the genre. Mm, yes. um, uh, my first, uh, my first cover for, for Paternus was um, a really nice cover and a lot of people yeah. really liked it. But it had way too much of a YA mystery Harry Potter feel. It looked like um, a, was it Fantastic Five? It looked like a Fantastic Five cover. Yeah, people have said Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys, yeah. you know, um, Harry Potter because of the, the wand thing that actually isn't a wand. It just looked like one um, and a big tree in the background. And it was a gorgeous cover. It did not did not sell books, did not get attention. When I switched to the new covers, it made a huge, huge difference. Yep. I mean, immediate and huge difference in the sales. I was going to bring up Paternus because I think that is probably one of the best indie fantasy covers I've seen, especially considering Thanks. that you are having to position the book in a sort of weird place because yeah. it's not epic fantasy. It's not urban fantasy. It's this epic urban fantasy as you've called it and yeah. that's hard to manage but you have made a cover which is like i look at it and i think percy jackson and i also think like stormlight archive a bit because it's got the glowing swords and mm -hmm. it's got the buildings in the background and the moon and it's just oh perfect and there it is rob is holding it up uh on is, video yeah this is actually a very um a very classic style for a uh, an epic fantasy cover which is you have a single character facing away from the audience usually wielding some sort of weapon and then you Maybe have glowing. this big looming yep a glowing weapon so that it but it indicates fantasy straight away and then you have a big glowing threat in this case yes. a monster um so it everything about this cover screams fantasy and it's a very sort of traditional style of of epic fantasy cover yeah if we well done. pull up a yeah <laughs> nice work Dirk. I'm going to pull up an I example from me. Actually, super lucky with the I went artist. through the uh, same process with Fires of the Dead, where the first cover was... Actually, I'll just grab it before I start talking. Give me two seconds. And this Good is orange. an example, of, and, the, and that is an example of, of, uh, of a cover so, that works that Sean, to, uh, and Sean King did the, did the typography and design for that, and it just worked. Oh, yeah. Sean is good. Worked. Sometimes yeah. his clients are less good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. So uh, this is apologies to our podcast listeners, because this is a very visual heavy episode, but uh, you can always just look up these books and, and see the covers in action. Um, this is the cover of my first book, Fires of the Dead. Um, I was happy with it when I designed it myself, uh, but I quickly realized that this is far too much of a ripoff of Joe Abercrombie's covers. Um, it's basically That's not a bad thing. It's not a That's bad, not a bad thing, thing. Um, but I just didn't like it that much. Essentially for our audio listeners, it is a sword lying on a map with some blood and coins around. It is very similar to the best served cold cover. Um, it looks, which is it looks uh, piratey. It looks very piratey. Like. Um, yeah. the, problem, the problem there is it's, it's, it's a style which is so Joe Abercrombie because yes. it's pretty much just his books that, that do it and they're the ones that started doing it. The, exactly. You, you get to the point where you're like, well, yeah, it does just kind of feel like it's copying Joe Abercrombie's covers. Yes. So I had that. Um, I had that thought and I was struggling with that for a bit, especially because like straight up, that was my intention. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. this is a good yeah. idea. I'm going to copy this. 
but then I wanted to progress it a bit better. So um, I got it redesigned to look like this. Um, the, the new Fires of the Dead cover is essentially like a figure running towards um, a bunch of soldiers with a sword in the middle. There's all fire around. It's in a forest. Um, it is far more dynamic-y than the first original sword on a uh, map cover. I'm sure there's still room for improvement here, um, but I feel personally that this does a better job of feeling slightly unique as opposed to the other one while still being firmly in the epic fantasy uh, genre. So no. yeah, you guys are feel free to correct me on that. If now, I, how, uh, now what effect did you see when you switched that? Uh, not heaps hugely because no. this is not a yeah. book that has sold tremendously well <laughs> it is a epic fantasy novella that is like twenty thousand words long um so yeah i novellas are a hard seen. sell let's be fair yeah. Yeah. they are hard i just did it mostly because i knew that if i got to a point where i was selling more of my other books and people were going back to my first book and reading it i didn't want people to see uh, a very amateurish cover for my first novel um and i had the money to reinvest in a cover for it as well so i wanted to do it for that reason um i think it yeah i, I don't know exactly what impact it had on the sales for it um but i'm much happier with it as a cover so i think that's uh that, that's that was enough for me um, so, um yes moving on to blurbs yes yeah. that is important <laughs> um for blurbs before we get into that, one of the books that has helped me a lot with this, uh, which I mentioned before we started recording, is Writing Killer Cover Copy by Alana Johnson. I'll put a link down in the show notes. That will be an affiliate link. So if you buy through that, um, you're supporting the show at no extra cost to you. Plus, you're going to the right page on Amazon. Um, and one of the things that she kind of summarizes very nicely uh, in the book is what she sort of identifies as the four parts of Blurb. So you guys feel free to chip in here if this is different to how you do it. But the way that she kind of structures her blurbs is uh, you start with a hook, which sums up the novel in one sentence. Um, and it's something that is really just grabbing the attention and kind of just maybe saying genre details. So an example could be, um, you know, not uh, even myths have legends from Paternus, for example. Uh, that is something that is hooking readers in, telling them the genre immediately. Second part is the setup. So that is where you start providing details about the main character um, and the catalyst that moves the main character into conflict. Um, so an example that she had uh, in the book was uh, 23-year-old Echo del Toro doesn't know about the bride-choosing festivities the tyrannical prince of myth has planned until she's taken from her home by five armed soldiers. She's led under the cover of a magical storm to have opulent compound to join hundreds of girls, each vying to be chosen as the next queen of Nith. So immediately telling you about the world, showing you how the main character's life is changing uh, and what is happening next from that. Then after that, we have the third part, which is the conflict. So the setup was, uh, you know, what the character kind of wants and the conflict is why they can't have it. Um, so you can talk about how in this example, there are... Uh, you know, other people competing to get the crown. Um, there is maybe opposition from her family, whatever it is. And then lastly, the fourth element is the consequence. So this is one sentence, um, which is usually establishing the stakes. In other words, what happens if the character fails? Um, so ideally, this is something that is uh, kind of interesting to unpack. And what I mean by that is that... Um, there are some blurbs which sort of just end with like, will the main character live or die? 
And to me, that's not super interesting. <laughs> I think what is it's more interesting... The problem is you need to open and end on a hook and that's not a hook. Yeah. That's right. What is more yeah. interesting is like when the character has to choose between uh, their integrity and um, helping their nation survive, what will they pick? That's a bad example, but it has a little <laughs> bit more... Uh, no, but it, 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 it's it. actually it is a good example because it, it it's the choice basically. It's yes. that it can go either way. The character has to make a choice. There's agency. It immediately says, "Hey, the character has agency." Yeah. Um, and there are stakes. And I mean, yeah, the the hook on that's not great. You need you need something that makes people go, "That sounds cool. That sounds interesting." Yes. Um, which is in general the the biggest point of a blurb it needs yeah, to hook people at every it's, stage it's of the a, way it's a pitch it's very much like how you would want yeah. to sell the book to an agent or yeah. a publisher very much it's a pitch and two things there are like like special words that that people come up with and you'll see power words power words like discover explore uh, dragon yeah, Relevation. I was going to say that. Well, dragon, yeah. Cultivation, um, progression, and, and it's a good idea to put the 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 genre and some major keyword things in there. If it's Arthurian type, you can put that in the description. If it's um, if it's um, uh, urban fantasy, put those words in there. If it's you know, uh, there are certain things. If it's a progression fantasy, the character progresses or must power. progress or develop power, um, uh, leveling Magic. up. You know, there are certain words that you want to have in the description because, for one thing, that does that also helps uh, Amazon figure out how to position it um, when people search for certain things. Yes. Um, so those those things are are important. Just um, don't do the thing that yeah. I have seen some traditional publishers do where their subtitle for the book is like, uh, I don't know, amazing oh, self -pub, book title self -pub here. Self-pub does it all, all, the... all the time. And I've seen some huge <laughs> sellers that it's say it's crazy, a, a, uh, an epic progression fantasy. That's the subtitle. No, 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 no. That's fine. I'm talking here about, there, yeah. I'm talking here about um, a book I absolutely love, Project Hail Mary, right? The subtitle Ooh. for this book is uh, the mega new bestseller from the incredible author of yeah, that's, the Martian. Really? Seriously? Oh, I've never seen that. Some, Let me look some it up. Some really bad ones. Like I absolutely love the the Poppy War by uh, um, RF Quang, but uh, the the subtitle for that is TikTok made me pick up this book or something like that. And it's like, what? That's oh god! Oh. <laughs> that's the um, subtitle. Yeah, oh. it's so weird. Anyway, but that. that yeah. <laughs> back to the point again. Uh, Yes. Grounding in the genre, basically. Um, again, it's it's so important. You need to ground your blurb in the in the genre, in the subgenre that you are going for. Yeah. Um, and again, your best your best bet is to you know look at the ones that are selling and are selling well, and to try and emulate them as much as possible. Yes. There's so, there's one thing that I quickly, avoided yep. for a long time that we haven't touched on is the this meets that. Um, those are extremely common. Some uh, I, uh, you know, I've had, uh, I've had a couple of responses to ads and stuff is like, oh, this meets that is blah, blah. We, I hate that. Truth is, though, it sells books. Oh, God, yeah. If you do it right, it sells books. Don't listen to the naysayers. Um, if you want to put one in there, put one in there. I would recommend you do. Um, that would... also, even before 
uh, I changed the title or changed the cover on Paternus. When I finally acquiesced and put in a this meets that, that also had a big thing. Because think it's the the competition. I mean, there are so many books. You gotta you gotta break through the noise. Um, and if people don't know what the hell it is or don't have a good feel for it, right off the bat, you're gonna lose them. Yes. Um, so the this meets that helps and play with it. Um, you can that's the great thing about self-publishing. You can change the covers, you can change the inside, you can change the blurbs, you can change the description anytime you want. Yes. Um, if, if, you, if you will often see it like with the with to be honest, the majority of well-selling um, books I've seen, they usually end on a sort of comparison. And it may not be a comparison of it's Game of Thrones meets Witcher or something like that. But it quite often what you'll see is, Sometimes it is. Um, they'll, they'll name drop a couple of authors in the same genre that yeah. they're, they're, they're targeting the audience for. So they might say something like... For people like, right who the loved end. this. Yeah, for people who loved um mark lawrence and rj barker or something like that um and then i love i love mark lawrence and rj barker i love mark i don't lawrence know anything about barker. their books but we've even had rj on the show that's how much we love him that's right we love you rj and we've um, tried anyway. to get mark but you know we know that mark, mark has watched sort of at thing. least one episode of the show in the past even though he did not want to come on the yeah. show because he doesn't do no, podcasts. He, watches. he does watch yeah. hey mark but they're, they're usually they're, those sorts of, of comparisons are usually used at the end of the blurb and they're, they're combined with the call to action. So what they'll quite often say is something like perfect for fans of um, Brandon Sanderson and um, Will, White. Will White, um, you know, Rob, pick Rob up this, this, this pulse pounding adventure today. Yes, something yeah. like that. It's that's yeah. that's the sort of like the call to action at the end, which is that yeah. basically it's like a little uh, subliminal, you know, suggestion or demand of buy the book. Yeah, that is literally. Yeah, and you'll see that on ads too. It's like um, which made me it's read like the book. Uh, blah blah blah. Really short. Um, try it now. Buy today. Um, I. I don't know what it is about me that I can't bring myself to do that. I can't bring myself to say, buy it now. I don't know why. Same reason I probably didn't want to even say what the genre was early on. And the same reason why I refused to use a this meets that for a while. But when I did that, sales went up. Yeah. So maybe if I did try it now maybe it, sales would go up and i can't exactly you're it. you're the thing is that little call to action it doesn't have to say buy it now it can it you, you can play with it a little bit you can you know check it out so yeah check it out give it a try whatever anyway all of that lot um but yeah a call to action at the bottom is actually quite important because it's it's just a subliminal suggestion to people of pick it up give it a go mm -hmm. um which may be enough to just tip them over the edge yes yep. Yep. um one other thing which is sort of like i guess homework so we're giving you homework now to do is an exercise that i really found useful was to hand copy successful blurbs so um i think earlier last year i went through the habit of looking up books that were selling successfully in the genre i wanted to write on amazon and then yeah. writing those same blurbs down by hand uh, in a notebook. And the reason yeah, emulation, why... Emulation is a, is a tried and true yes. method of learning to write anything. 
And it's important here that you do it by hand, I think, because just copying and pasting it into a Word document or even writing it in a Word document will not give you an appreciation of the rhythms and the way it's structured uh, in the same way that actually physically writing it down longhand will. So an exercise, uh, if you would like to improve your blurb writing skills, uh, that kind of brings together everything we're saying in this episode is to try to find five really well-selling books in the subgenre that you want to write um, and then copying their blurbs down by hand uh, in a notebook uh, or just on a piece of paper. And this exercise, I was shocked by how much it taught me because I thought, oh, I've read tons of blurbs. I know how to write a blurb that works well. I did this exercise and it, it actually really blew me away how much I learned from it. So I would highly recommend that you do that if you are wanting to improve this area of your writing. Um, do you guys have any other last things before we close? I think this that's up? important because it's a good way of helping you to pick up little details that you might not otherwise pick up. Like yeah. there, there are certain things. Like if you if you pick a, a, a subgenre and start doing that, you might start to see certain ways they work. It's like yeah. in progression fancy. I, I I'm bringing it back to this because I'm doing this at the moment myself, yeah. and it's like it's there in the top of my mind. And you want what to I've the noticed book is uh, no book title because I don't have anything for okay. it yet. Cool. Never it's mind. coming soon. Titan Hoppers. Next. coming soon. But when? Who knows? Anyway, What's it called? Um, Titan Hoppers. Titan Hoppers. Yes. It's a sci fantasy progression. Know that. Yes. Yeah. Coming soon, but there's nothing about it anywhere online yet, apart from my, my patron. But anyway. Um, but anyway, what, what I was. <laughs> what my Sorry. point was um, I started to realize things like the in that first tagline, they almost always mention like the character by name. And it's just, it, you start to realize why it's like, oh yeah, because it immediately grounds you to, this is the character, this is who you're going to be following. Yep. And which is a very important point in that particular subgenre. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, there's, there's always another little bit, usually in the tagline as well, early on, just saying how they're going to get stronger, how they're going to break out from the norm. Yep. Um, so it's, it's stuff like that, that the more you sort of read, the more you copy them if if you're sort of like doing it by hand the more you'll start to pick up on those those little things of what makes these these blurbs um work basically that's awesome dirk any closing thoughts Uh, i was just going to invoke the spirit of michael r fletcher um and he's been pretty successful with with doing this kind of stuff too and he 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 likes to say it doesn't have to be true um, that everything you say doesn't have to be exactly the way it happens in the story, right? Um, it, so you don't have to be like so true to the exact story that you're weighing it down um, with details. Um, you can do some pretty broad generalizations. Don't say something false like it's progression fantasy if it isn't, right? Um, people don't like to be misled, but you don't have to be um, truly literal in everything that you write in a description. The trick there is what you can do is ask uh, is ask questions or write it in such a way that basically suggests a question because that's a hook in itself. If you're posing questions to the to the reader that makes them want to know the answer, that's a hook. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't necessarily have to t- to tell the truth. But, um, of what's going on in the story, but you can pose the question of this might happen, what is going to happen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a hook. Awesome. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. If you want to help support the podcast, uh, check out our Patreon, uh, patreon.com 
forward slash Wizards Warriors words link down in the description. Um, that can get you advanced reader copies of our books as they come out, um, along with some previous advanced reader copies that we have up on there for free. Uh, and it can also get you. So they're like, no longer advanced reader copies. They're... They are unadvanced reader copies. <laughs> 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 yeah. What do you call them once they're expired advanced reader copies? Either way, you A can still read copy? them. Uh, yeah, because you can cup. still read them for free. Yes. So um, that's kind of cool. And you can also get things like editorial feedback. Uh, and it's just a great way to support this show if you're enjoying it. And you get priority access when we do our questions and answer episodes. So thank you, everybody, for listening or watching. Shout out to our high-tier Patreon, Daniel Henderson. Uh, and we'll see the rest of you Thanks, in Daniel. our next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.